Thank you for listening to the Calvary Church Podcast. If this ministry has been a blessing to you, would you let us know? Send an email to toledocalvary.org. We would love to hear what God is doing in your life today.
that song powerfully tells the story of Jesus Christ and is so good for us to think about and remember, especially here at this Easter time. And let's just be honest, this is really kind of a weird Easter. I never thought that I would pastor on the biggest day of the year in a way that would be here in our atrium where I stand today and uh, basically here with just a few other people and you're not here. Like this is a place where I, I typically on a Sunday walk through these doors and we have the chance to, to hug and high five and shake hands, all of which are things that right now kind of give us the creeps when we think about these things. And the reality is we're here and this is not the normal Easter we would expect. You know, part of my concern was that we would be here and that it wouldn't feel special, that, that somehow we'd, we'd miss Easter and what an important day it is in the midst of this unique season that we're in, a time when we physically can't be together. And can I tell you, before we even get into God's Word and look at this message today, I want to pray for you. And really, I, I don't want this to be, to be weird or strange or unusual at all, but what I have felt so strongly is I want to make sure that you realize that even though you can't be in God's house today, God is in your house. And He's there. And He's right there with you. And He can use this service to impact your life, whether you already have put your faith in Him or maybe you're just curious today. I know that God's presence can be there. So before we even jump into God's Word today, can I, can I pray for you? In fact, I would encourage you, if you're comfortable with this, maybe to put yourself in a posture of openness and to, and to just join me in this prayer. Father, we come to you today on this Easter Sunday, on this day that we remember your sacrifice for us. And Lord, we ask that your presence would be in our homes, that it'd be in our cars, it would be with us where we are right now. And Father, that we would know your grace in a very special way in this moment. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Back uh, in February, one of our staff members had been in my office and on their way out, they said, you know, I've, I've heard some stuff about this coronavirus thing. I was talking with somebody in the medical field, they said, and, and they told us that the reality is that this thing could get bad. It could actually threaten us here in the United States. And if it does, there may come a time when people aren't able to leave their homes and we might not be able to have church. And I remember they said that. I looked at them and I said, really? Like, like for real? And they said, yeah, that's, that's kind of the word on the street and, and it might happen. And we talked for a minute and then they walked out of my office when they walked out, I said to myself, I doubt it. Like, like that's not going to happen. There's not going to be a time when people can't leave their houses. Like I've heard of SARS and I remember Ebola. Like there's been these other things in the news before. But never a time when we couldn't leave our homes. Never a time when we couldn't have church. I doubt that that's going to happen. And yet here we are, Easter 2020. And that's exactly what's happened. Those things that I doubted right here in front of us. It's impacting us all. Today I want to talk about this idea of doubt. I want to share with you a story about the quintessential doubter. And if you have your Bibles, if you could turn with me to John chapter 20 today. John in the New Testament. John chapter 20. And I want to talk to you today about this, this idea of, of doubting. We're, we're going to look at the story of a guy who is known as a doubter. Now in the Gospel of John, John gives to us kind of the account all through chapter 20 of the resurrection of Easter, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. He starts out by how Mary Magdalene goes to the tomb and when she gets there, she finds out it's empty. She passes the news along to the disciples and, and Peter and John 
run to the tomb and find that there is no body there. It goes back to Mary and how she's standing there at the tomb and Mary Magdalene encounters Jesus. And when he says her name, she realizes who he is. The, the next scene that we see then is that evening. It would be the evening of Easter, that first Easter Sunday. And how the disciples were in a, a room, in a house, and the doors were locked <clears throat> and they were alone. It tells us that there were 10 of those disciples there. Now, originally, Jesus had 12 followers who, who he chose to be his, his closest companions. They followed him and served him. There were 12 of them, but on this occasion, there's only 10 in the house. Judas is no longer with them, and Thomas is not there. We don't know why he's not there. Maybe he's at the grocery store. Maybe he had to run to the gas station. Maybe, maybe he's taking a walk in the park. We, we don't know where Thomas was. We just know he's not there. And then on that evening of the first Easter, Jesus appears. He somehow gets through the locked doors, shows up in front of these 10 disciples. He says, peace be with you and, and speaks a blessing over them in this moment. This was a, a powerful moment. And what happens is that Jesus shows them that he is alive. He shows it to these 10 disciples, but not to Thomas because Thomas is not there. He misses the whole thing. That's where I want to pick up the story. I want to show you the story of what happens next after Jesus first appears to these disciples. John chapter 20, verse 24. Look at what we read next. <clears throat> now Thomas, also known as Didymus, one of the twelve, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. Now, look, I know we're, we're tough on Thomas sometimes, but I just want to be honest. For starters, if I was him, I'd kind of be ticked, too, that these guys are trying to tell me that Jesus had had showed up, that Jesus was there while I'm at the grocery store or wherever he was. And, and the reality is Thomas is responding in this way. And you ask the question, is he doubting? I mean, it's a strong response. He says, unless I see it, unless I touch it, I'm not, I'm not going to believe it. It's a strong response. And yet Thomas, what do we know about him? Well, well he was a passionate guy. You know, oftentimes we, we call him a certain name, but we never call him brave Thomas. But, but we probably could have. See, in John chapter 11, verse 16, there was a time when Jesus was going to go and, and visit Mary and Martha as Lazarus had died. But he was at danger because people were trying to kill Jesus. And yet Thomas says this, Then Thomas, also known as Didymus, said to the rest of the disciples, Let us also go, that we may die with him. See, Thomas was a, was a passionate guy, but we don't call him brave Thomas. We don't call him curious Thomas. See, see there was a time in John chapter 14 when Jesus makes a promise that he is going to prepare a place for his disciples to be with him. And Thomas said to him in verse 5, Lord, we don't know where you are going, so how can we know the way? See, he's a passionate guy. He's brave enough to say, let's, let's go. We'll, we'll die with him. And he's curious enough to say, Jesus, I want the answer to the things you're talking about. But we don't call him brave Thomas. We don't call him curious Thomas. Do you know what we call him? We call him doubting Thomas. Like many of us, there's this one instance in his life and we define him. His whole reputation is set up by this moment in John chapter 20, a very tense moment, if you will. And so forever he's referred to by this nickname. In fact, if there's someone even in our culture today who's having a hard time believing something, we typically refer to them 
as a doubting Thomas. Was he doubting? I don't know. I mean, for sure, but it's kind of unfair for us to maybe just call him that. Let's think about it for a moment, because maybe there's more to the story here. Maybe there's something deeper for us to dig into. Like, why do we doubt? Like, when we doubt? What, what stirs that doubt in us, especially on this Easter Sunday? Let's consider this. Now, I'm sure there's more ways than just these, but I want to show you three ways that we doubt. Three ways that oftentimes we can doubt. And now we can't be certain why Tom doubted, but, but I know sometimes why I doubt. I know why this stirs up inside of me at times. So I want to look at three things for us to consider. Three ways why we doubt. The first one is this. Number one, we may doubt truth. There's times in our lives where something comes our way, and the reality is we may doubt truth. The, the thing in our life that actually is true. Now look, we live in a day and time when it's probably okay for us to have a little streak of skeptic in us. We can't simply believe everything we see. Just because it's on the internet doesn't mean that it's true. So before you go too hard on old Tom, think a little bit about what happened here. Remember this, dead people don't come back. When somebody's dead, they're dead. When something's buried, we usually leave it there. Like I heard a story just this week about a guy named John Brayshaw. He lives in the United Kingdom. He's furloughed from his job, and so he's, he's got some time on his hands. And so he decided that he's going to build a deck on the back of his house. He had the materials already, and now he's got the time. So John goes out, and he starts digging a hole to put the posts in the ground. And as he does, he, he finds something solid and metal in the ground. It's, it's large, too. He's trying to figure it out. At first, he thought... Maybe it's like a bomb shelter from back in the war or a fallout shelter from the Cold War. He's, he's trying to think through these things. Eventually, what he uncovers, and let me show you a picture of it here. John finds a car. He's sitting on top of it here that's literally buried in his backyard. If you take a look at this, you can actually see, look at this next picture here. You can actually see kind of the shape and the layout of that car that is buried in his backyard. Now, he's only lived in this house for six months. And he's trying to figure out what's going on here. As they do the research, they, they figure out it's probably a 1955 or 56 Ford Popular, which would have looked a little bit more like this back in the day. That's what is buried in John's backyard. He's talked to the neighbor. He's done research. No idea why he has a car in his backyard. Such a strange thing. He says that it has license plates. He says that it has an engine, that the only thing it's missing is the wheels. And he's trying to decide exactly what do I do with it. The reality is most of the time when things are buried, they stay buried. That's what Thomas would have expected from Jesus. And the reality is it's, it's probably at Easter something that's good for us to remember. The truth is when we think of the story of Jesus, oftentimes we stop at the cross and we forget that he rose from the dead. I mean, the reality is with, without seeming critical for some of us, Maybe it's been about a year since we even thought about Jesus. And we come back to this moment and consider this, this story and we consider the resurrection because the resurrection is central to the Christian faith. See, is there a resurrected Jesus? That's what Thomas was asking. And the reality is, it's what you and I have to ask as well. Do we honestly believe that Jesus is risen from the dead? Now look, I don't have the time today to fully go into an apologetic on why I believe that Jesus died and rose again. There's great authors that you can read, like William Lane Craig or Josh McDowell or Lee Strobel. 
And you can dig into those books and find out more for yourself. But when you consider the, the prophecies hundreds of years before, when you consider the historical accounts, when you consider the testimony of the early church, when you look at not just the biblical evidence, but even evidence from the time of Christ outside the Bible, what you see is there is a strong, strong case to be made for the resurrection historically proven of Jesus Christ. And there's lots of theories of why the resurrection is false. But when you really dig into those theories, it's hard for those to stand up. See, here's what I've come to the conclusion in my own research. That Jesus was a historical figure. That he lived, he was crucified, he died. He was placed in a tomb and he was raised from the dead. William Lane Craig has said this. The Christian faith is based on the event of the resurrection. It is not based on the evidence for the resurrection. And stop and think about this because there's a difference between evidence and event. When you go back to the first century, you notice they don't try to prove the resurrection. They live the resurrection. It was something they saw. It was something they knew. It was something that they experienced to the point that they were willing to give their lives because of something that happened, that Jesus died, but they saw him alive again. There is a truth here for us to consider. Look, if you, if you still doubt, and I know that there's all kinds of reasons to, there's all kinds of research, there's all kinds of things that push back on this idea that someone who died could come back to life. But, but if you still doubt, I would encourage you to do this. In fact, maybe, without being dramatic, I, I dare you, to open yourself up to do genuine research. And in the process, as you look at the, the facts, the story behind this, to say this, just very simply, God, I'm not sure what I believe. I'm not sure that I believe in you, but I'm open to the truth. Would you help me to see that truth in my life? And I honestly believe that if you'll, if you'll go with a heart for the truth, that God will help you to find it. See, one of the reasons why we doubt is oftentimes we may doubt truth. The second thing, though, and, and I think you, you can probably see this in the life of Thomas, number two, we may doubt hope. Second thing today, we may doubt hope. See, hope comes to us in different ways. Another reason that Thomas might have doubted was because maybe it was too good to be true. Have, have you ever heard that, that if something seems too good to be true, then it probably is? See, Thomas had left everything. He had left his home. He'd left his family. Here's a, here's a little known fact. Thomas was a twin. That's why that name Didymus is there. It means that he was a twin. And so scripturally, we, we might even believe that when he left to follow Jesus, it might have been one of the first times he was ever away from his twin brother. And he's following some guy who claims to heal, who's a great teacher, who says he's the Messiah. He leaves everything to follow him. And so now that guy that he left everything to follow is dead, just like his dreams. And so I can see where he would say to these other 10 dudes, look, you can keep this story of the resurrection to yourself. It's too good to be true. I don't need to get my hopes up again. I've already been there once. Don't offer me something that isn't real. I don't want to get my hopes up again. Have you ever had your hopes up only to... Get them crushed a little bit. You ever ordered something online and you saw the picture and you had one thing in your mind that it was going to be like this. And then when the box showed up and it was like this and you had to realize 
oh man, that's not what I thought it would be. I thought it would be a higher quality. I, I thought that shirt would actually fit. I, I remember a couple of years ago for our anniversary, Rhonda and I went out to dinner and we went to this really fancy place, place we'd never been before. It was not cheap. It was fancy. It was expensive. It was different from where I would typically eat. And I remember looking at the menu and checking the items out that were on there. And finally, I landed on this pasta that had a name that I couldn't pronounce. It was, it was really kind of fancy. It was very European. And uh, I ordered this really fancy pasta and I felt so bougie, you know, and I'm waiting for it to come. And I'm excited. And to be honest, I was starving. And then when they brought it out, they, and I was so excited. I saw them coming. I was hungry. They brought it out and they dropped in front of me what looked like about three and a half raviolis in a, in a teacup. And I was like, are you, are you kidding me? And honestly, the first thought that came to my mind, I saw it and I said to myself, I could get four number ones at Chick-fil-A for what I paid for this. The reality is sometimes we get our hopes up only to have them crashed and brought down. Look, some of you know what that's like. You're watching this, but you're thinking, hey, preacher, don't play with me. Don't make me promises that you can't keep. Because I've been hurt too many times. I've been sold too many bills of goods. I've believed fake news. I've trusted too many of the wrong people. And I thought that it would work out or that I'd make it big or this thing would resolve itself in some way. And instead, I find myself in a place right now where I had been chasing the Hollywood dream, but I'm living my own personal nightmare. And sometimes we begin to doubt that there's hope. Some of you feel that way right now because of this season that we're living in. The whole COVID-19 season, this time when in so many ways what we knew as normal is no longer even possible and we're, we're in our homes or we're in frontline roles and we keep being told, hey, look, school will be um, out a little longer and you need to stay in a little longer and we've got to stretch this curve out farther a little longer. And look, all of this is good and it's necessary, but it's difficult because it's affecting you. It's affecting your health and your finances, your home, even, even, even your, your just kind of your mood, your thoughts. And some of you, this whole idea of being promised things that just really don't come true, you've experienced them in church. Maybe you've heard some, some voice in a church who made you promises, said, hey, look, everything will be perfect if you just mindlessly believe. And let's be honest. That's just not true. What we've been saying since the first week of this, this crisis, since it's first started to kind of hit us hard, are some things that I think are really important even on this Easter Sunday. We've been looking at scriptures in the book of Revelation, and there's this constant theme in the book of Revelation. It's interesting because oftentimes we think of Revelation, the last book in the Bible, the last book in the New Testament, which, by the way, was also written by the Apostle John, who's telling us the story here of the resurrection in the Gospel of John. What he says to us is there's a happy ending. Like in the end of the book of Revelation, it's no surprise, God wins. But there's also this, things may get worse before they get better. Things may get worse before they get better. Every time I say that, it's kind of a, a, a tricky thing to say. It's kind of a tough thing to talk about because we don't necessarily like worse before better. And yet this is something that is totally and completely true. I mean, if you ever doubted it, start with Easter. Like, isn't this this whole story? See, Jesus didn't die on a cross 
and then hop right back off the cross and say, hey, I'm back. There was this period of time when everybody wondered. He died. He, he didn't just mostly die. He was all dead. There's a big difference between the two. And they placed him in a tomb. He was lifeless. He was not breathing. And there he was, Friday night, Saturday night. And in the silence of Saturday, it would have been easy for people to have given up. In the silence of Saturday, that's when we lose hope. Some of you know that feeling. You're feeling that right now where you're saying, look, I believed something, but now it seems to be dead. Look, that is a part of our human life. That is a part of our existence. And let's be honest, it is not easy. But Psalm 30 verse 5 tells us this. Let me show you this. Psalm 30 verse 5, which is a powerful scripture that says, For his anger lasts only a moment, but his favor lasts a lifetime. Weeping may stay for the night, but rejoicing comes in the morning. Sometimes the night is long, but can I tell you, there is rejoicing in the morning. There is hope on the other side. After the silence of Saturday, there is life. So can I just encourage you, especially those of you who are struggling in this season, you are going to make it. You're going to make it on the other side of this. On the other side of this. Now look, I'm going to mention some words today. Like peace and joy and hope and life and grace and purpose and meaning and faith and hope. And they're easy for me to say, but they're hard to back up. Especially in the midst of a pandemic. But let me encourage you, it may be tough right now. And I honestly believe that when those 10 guys said, Tom, we saw Jesus, it was easy for him to go, nah, uh-uh. not unless I see him. Because I'm not going to get my hope up again. I'm not going to buy into your false hope. But can I encourage you, this hope is not false. It is not hope in today. It is hope in forever. You just can't see it yet. A couple weeks ago when, when I was preaching, I, I referenced real quick the thought passed through my mind, this concept of if you got to hold on through the tough times. It reminded of me when I had braces. And if you, if you had braces at any point in your life, but especially in, in junior high or high school, then you, you kind of remember what, what that was like. It was, my, my teeth were messed up. They needed a lot of help. And I think for, for two to three years, I, I had a mouthful of hardware. And I can remember going to the orthodontist. And then during that time, while I had my braces, my orthodontist had a terrible accident. He had to retire early. So then I had to wait for a new guy to pick up his practice. And I can remember all of the cranking and all of the soreness. I can remember days after getting my, my braces adjusted, eating cream of wheat and jello and, and soup because my, my teeth hurt so much. And this was in the old school. This was back when you didn't, you didn't hide your braces. I, I had, it looked like I had scaffolding set up on my choppers back there in that time. And I can remember when I would go and I'd be sitting there in that chair. You know, they'd lean you back and I'd sit in that chair and they'd say, oh, your teeth are going to look so good. There was one lady in particular who I seemed to always interact with. And she, you know, she'd put her hands in, in your mouth and then she'd start asking you questions. We can't, you can't talk in the middle of that, and so it's kind of awkward, and she, I don't know, she, I, I'm, I, I don't know how to say it, and she just kind of gave me the creeps, <laughs> and I could remember, she, she used to look at me and say, oh, your teeth are going to look so good, you hang in there, it's going to be okay, your teeth are going to be great, 
And I'm this cynical teenager, and I'm thinking, it's easy for you to say, I got enough steel in my mouth to, to build a high-level bridge, and you're trying to tell me it's going to be okay. I can remember skeptically walking out of that office in Warren, Ohio, and thinking to myself, I do not want to be in this place. You can keep your false hope. My teeth hurt. And if I could have taken them off, I probably would have. But I'm so glad I couldn't. I'm so glad I didn't. Because after all that tension, after all that adjustment, after all that pain, let's be honest, in the end, I'm so thankful that what was messed up got corrected. I couldn't buy into their false hope because of my pain in that time. But now I look back and I say to myself, I see that what I was going through was actually for my benefit and it was worth it. The Bible says it this way, Romans chapter 5, verse 3. And not only that, but we also rejoice in our afflictions because we know that affliction produces endurance. Endurance produces proven character and proven character produces hope. And this hope will not disappoint us because God's love has been poured out in our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. Look, my encouragement to you is this. Hang in there through the pressure and through the soreness of life. Don't give up in the midst of this. For those of you that have faith in Jesus Christ, believe that you're going to come out of this on the other side. Don't let doubt sink in and rob you of hope. Look, we may doubt truth and we may doubt hope, but let's get right down to it. The third thing we may doubt, and especially in this Easter story, number three, we may doubt Jesus. Number three, we may doubt Jesus. Think about the story one more time. Jesus shows up while Tom's out for a walk. And even if he's willing to believe that Jesus is alive, even if he's open to having hope, he can't help but feel like he ran out. Think about it. When was the last time that Jesus saw Thomas? It was in the Garden of Gethsemane as Jesus was arrested. And if you go back and read the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 26, verse 56, it says, then all the disciples deserted him and fled. See, the last time Jesus saw Thomas, Tommy was running away. So what's Thomas thinking? You can't help but think that maybe Jesus is done with me. That if he knows everything, and even if he is resurrected, then why, why would he choose to show up at a time when I'm not there? I miss the resurrection. And maybe it's because Jesus doesn't miss me. It's me that doesn't fit. Somehow it's my fault. You, you got to wonder that maybe Thomas said, maybe I'm not good enough. Maybe I've messed up too much. Maybe I'm not as qualified as everyone else to be a disciple. Maybe what I've done will keep me from Jesus. How could he really love me? Maybe I'm not enough. Have you ever been there? Look, let's be honest. I know from my interaction with, with many of you, I'll be honest, I know from my interaction with myself, there's times where you just go, I'd like to believe, but I don't know that I can. Because in my life, there's guilt and shame and regret and doubts and condemnation. It's possible there's things that come into your mind right now that no one on earth knows but you. Things you've done, things you've thought, things you've felt. And in this moment, you know that you know and God knows. And if God knows, there's no way that he could love you. You, you know that's a lie, right? 
That when you start to think that God doesn't love you, that God doesn't care, that you don't matter to him, just know for a fact that is not true. The source of that does not come from God. That is a lie. Years ago, years ago, 10 plus years ago, there's a situation where someone who used to attend Calvary went and talked to someone who attends Calvary and told them, you know something, Chad doesn't like you. For whatever reason, and I, I don't have any idea why, but they planted in the mind of this, this other person, hey, your pastor does not like you. And so for years, this person had that in their, in their brain. This was in their mind. And you fast forward a few years, and, and, and eventually that person, and very courageously actually, was, was determined to, to figure this out for themselves. And so they came to me, and they said, look, can I, can I just ask you, do, you, do you like me? And I was like, well, yeah, I like you. And we talked through the story, and we resolved it all. And in the end, it strengthened the relationship. But here's the reality. For years, that person had stayed distant from me. There was this, this tension between the two of us. There was this distance that was there because they believed that I did not like them. They believed a story that someone had told them that, get this, that it just was not true. And it hindered our relationship. It affected the way we interacted. And the reality is, that didn't come from me. That came from someone who, for whatever reason, put a wedge between our relationship. Now look, when you say to yourself, I don't think I'm good enough to have a relationship with God, can I tell you, that doesn't come from God. There's an enemy of your soul who wants you to believe that, who wants to keep you from that relationship with God. Here's what God said. God didn't say, hey, when you're good enough, come to me. Instead, God said this, John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. That was for Thomas, and that's for you. The Bible tells us that he wants no one, not a person, to perish. He loves you. And anytime that thought crosses your mind that you're not good enough, that you couldn't earn or deserve God's love. The reality is, I can never earn his love. He gave it to me because he loves me. Why, why might we doubt? We, we might doubt the truth. We might doubt hope. We might doubt Jesus. But can I tell you, there's, there's a good part to this story. The disciples say to Thomas, we saw the Lord. And Thomas says, <laughs> don't tell me this. Well, unless I can see and touch him for myself, I'm not going to believe. Watch what happens next. John chapter 20, verse 26. A week later so this would be the equivalent of next sunday right a week later jesus disciples were in the house again and thomas was with them and though the doors were locked jesus came and stood among them and said peace be with you i love that part of the detail there was probably an outside door like to a courtyard and then there was an inside door to the house and jesus he, he just doors are locked but somehow he shows up he appears and he's right there among them Look, I want you to know this. Jesus is alive and he's present in your life. If you're wondering this today, if you're wrestling with the fact that you can't be in God's house, please know that God is with you in your house. He's with you right there in your home, right there in the hospital, right there at work, right there in your car or truck, right there where you're watching this on TV or on the internet, right there in the situation you're in. And what is his leading line? Jesus shows up right there among them. And he doesn't say, why don't you believe? He does not say, guys, what's the matter with you? 
his opening line to them, to the guys that the last time he saw them had been fleeing from him and abandoning him, his opening line to them, his peace be with you. Jesus is alive and can bring peace to your life. Jesus is alive and he can bring peace to your life. Now, I stress that idea of peace because you know when we need peace the most? In times that aren't peaceful. We live in times of, of chaos, crisis, uncertainty. And I'm praying that God will bring peace to your life. In fact, what I'm going to challenge you to do, and this, this, this word has been stern in my heart for a couple of weeks. I, I'm going to call you to take courage, to be courageous in this time. Do you know how you're courageous? When you say, God, I'm going to move forward and believe you're going to bring me peace. We pray for those of you who are on the front lines. You're serving as an essential worker somewhere out there in the medical field, in the, in the custodial field. You're serving somewhere in retail, whatever that might be. You're, you're driving a truck or you're, you're serving people food. Wherever it is that you're at, we're praying that God will bring you his peace and his courage. We're praying for families in this tough time that you would hang in there and know that God's peace is in your home. For those of you that are fearful, for those of you that are financially challenged, for those of you who are making tough decisions, know this, God's peace can come to you. And watch this story, watch what happens. You've got Jesus, he shows up among them. He says, peace be with you. And then he looks right at Tom. And watch what he says, John chapter 20, verse 27. And then he said to Thomas, put your finger here, see my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. See, in this story, Jesus is alive. He loves you so much that he died for you. He's saying, Thomas, go ahead and take a look. It's me. I died and I rose again. And I'm standing here so that you can touch me. You can see my scars. Because Thomas... And I believe he's saying this to you. He's saying, I want you to believe. And then he gives him an invitation. He says, look, stop doubting and believe. I don't think he's saying it because he's mad. I think he's saying it because he wants to open the, the door. He, he wants Thomas to take that step of faith. He's saying, Thomas, recognize this. Jesus is alive. So stop doubting. Believe. I have this uh, terrible skill, I guess, maybe, that when I'm standing somewhere and have to pick a line, I always pick the worst line. Like in the grocery store, I, I seem to pick the one that's going to take the longest. At the ice cream place, I seem to, to pick the one where the, the people in front of me are going to order for 40 people. I, I, I seem to always pick the wrong one. The last time I flew internationally, we, we just recently went to Israel with a group from Calvary. And I know when we got to Israel and we had to go through passport control, I picked the wrong line. And I was in this line and, and I stood there and I, and I waited and I waited and I waited and I kept thinking it's going to get better. But for whatever reason, on the front end of this line, the, the person that we were going through with was taking so long. And I'm watching as my friends who've gone to other lines are like moving through. 
and moving past me. And they kind of keep going and they're moving. But I'm committed because I'm in the place where I am. All my baggage is there. And, and it's easier for me to think that I can just move my baggage an inch at a time than to risk that I go from where I'm comfortable over to there to where it might be better for me. And eventually one of my friends said to me, hey, Chad, come over here. Like, like they had moved out of our line and into the other. And immediately they'd gotten right up to the front and there was nobody behind them. And they said, Chad, come over here because over here you're going to be able to move through faster. Over here it's going to go better for you. You don't have to be stuck where you are. You just need to believe that over here it's going to be better. And eventually I did. I made it through that line at least five times faster than I would have if I had stayed where I was stuck. Here, the, the problem is sometimes we, we're more comfortable where we are. We're more comfortable where we're stuck. And when somebody says, I'm challenging you to trust me, I'm challenging you to take that step of faith, I'm challenging you to believe, it can be difficult for us to do. And yet that's exactly what Jesus said to Thomas. Thomas, I know you might be comfortable in your doubt, but I'm telling you over here is where life is. I'm asking you to leave your baggage and trust me. I'm asking you to, to take this step of faith and come over here. Stop doubting and believe. John chapter 20, verse 28. Thomas said to him, my Lord and my God. And then Jesus told him, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. In that moment, Thomas went from doubting Thomas to believing Thomas. He put his trust and his confidence in Jesus Christ. And I believe that today you, you can as well. I believe today you can take that same step of faith and say, Jesus, I put my trust and my confidence in you. Today's the day, if you will, to, to, to get out of one line and get into another, to, to literally cross the line from doubt to faith, from, from uncertainty to trust, and in the true spirit of Easter, from death to life. Our creative team have, have put together a, a powerful song that I want you to see next. And I invite you to, to, to listen to the words of this song. Because for those of us who wonder if there is hope and if there is truth and if there is joy and if there is peace and purpose for our lives, then you can find it today as you bring yourself to the resurrected Jesus Christ if you will stop doubting and if you will believe. And as you listen to this song and you'll see the words on the screen, I would challenge you to ask yourself the question, do I believe? In just a moment, I'm gonna come back. And I wanna ask you that question to consider your own trust, your own faith in Jesus Christ. But as we listen to the words of this song, would you let God's Spirit speak to your heart about your own faith and your own relationship with the living Christ?
It's a grace I could never add up to be somebody you still want. Somehow, you love me as you find me. So today, on this Easter Sunday, I want to offer to you the same invitation that Jesus offered to Thomas. To stop doubting and believe. I, I think it's a real invitation for those of us who are followers of Jesus Christ in this season because it's a, it's, a, it's a tough season. We've never known a season like this before. And we're being asked to sacrifice on all kinds of different levels for, for different ones of us. But in this season, will you put your confidence and trust in Jesus? Maybe like never before. But I really want to give that invitation to those of you who, as I've talked today about hope and about peace and about joy and about life, you've said to yourself, there is something missing in my life. I'm looking for something. And maybe you've looked in a lot of different places and you just have not been able to find it. Today is a day when I can tell you, you can find it through Jesus Christ because he died for your sins. See, oftentimes when we talk about Jesus, we use words like Savior and Lord. And when we use that word Savior, what we mean is that Jesus is the one who can forgive us of our sins. And if you will put your trust in him, he'll be your Savior. And you can know forgiveness. You, you can, that guilt and shame that we talked about, he can help us to move past that by our trust in him. He's not just our Savior, but he's our Lord. It means he's the one who gives purpose and meaning to our lives. And for many of us, that's exactly what we're looking for. And if you would say today, Jesus, I can't do this on my own anymore. Today I need you in my life. I need you to be my Savior and to be my Lord. It's as simple as saying, Jesus, I give you my life. I want, I want to lead us in a prayer. And if you are a follower of Jesus, if you know him as your Savior and Lord, then I'm going to ask you to repeat this prayer with me. And if today you need to make that choice, then right where you are, would you pray this prayer with me? Let's pray it together. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for Jesus, for sending your Son to die for my sin. I ask today that you would forgive my sin, be my Savior. I give my life to you. You are the risen Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Look, if you prayed that prayer today, especially for the first time, or if you're just curious and you want to know more about what it means to be a follower of Jesus, you can go out to our webpage at ToledoCalvary.org. ToledoCalvary.org. Right on the, the homepage, there, there's a link that you can click that says Online Hub. From there, you can find out not just more information about Calvary, but there's a button you can click that says Jesus. From there, you can get some more information. We have something we want to send to you to help you to know more about this process and about following him. And we'd love to help you find a church where you can dial in, where you can grow and where you can belong. We would love for that to be Calvary. And are so excited about the work that Jesus is doing in your life. On this Easter Sunday, we celebrate that Jesus is risen. Because of that, we find hope and we find life. There's meaning because of our confidence and trust in Jesus. And as we go, I want to pray a prayer of blessing over your home. Before we go back to, to Leah and Jordan to wrap up our service, can I pray for you that in this season, even though you can't be in God's house, that you would know for sure that God is with you in your house. And so, Father, I, I pray for my friends today. Lord, I pray for those who are watching. 
Lord, that you would bless them, that your face would shine upon them. God, that you would give them peace. Lord, that you would let them know your presence in a powerful way. And God, in this season, that we would be reminded that even when doubt tries to step in, that you are alive and that our trust, our confidence, our hope is in you. Father, may we go in your special favor and in your wonderful peace. In Jesus' name, amen.